0: All right, how's everybody doing today? Good to have you here. I do want to say a very special welcome to those of you joining us at one of our central locations. Big shout out to our friends joining us in Kingman, Arizona. Great to have you. And I want to welcome our central Summerlin, Sunrise Mountain, and southern Highland locations as well. Great to have you. Uh, I want to welcome our online audience, those who are joining us around the country or around the world. Great to have you with us. And as always... A big shout out to our friends who join us through our partnership with God Behind Bars. We love you. We're grateful for you. Thanks for being with us this weekend. Uh, Let's start this way. Is there anybody celebrating a birthday today? How about this week? Any birthdays this week? Somebody's got a birthday this week. Now, here's my question for you. Did you get everything that you wanted this birthday? Everything you asked for. No. Unfortunately, this birthday fell a little short. Sorry about that, but, but happy birthday to you anyway. Let me, let me broaden the question a little bit for everybody. Uh, how many of you, for every single birthday that you can ever remember, that you've gotten everything that you've ever wanted and ever desired? Anybody? Congratulations. We all want your life. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, right? Because for most of us, somewhere along the way, there was a birthday that came that maybe we wanted really something and for whatever reason, we just didn't get what we wanted that birthday. Uh, now, for me, I, I grew up in a great family. I have two loving parents who were amazing. Uh, they were fantastic parents, invested so much into us. And though we didn't really grow up in a lot of wealth, to the best of my parents' means and ability, they did their very best to really make sure that every birthday was a spectacular birthday. But I do remember one time, and it was one time that I had this gift that I thought it was everything that I wanted. I couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, but I wanted this, this thing that was called electric football. Now, you have to be a little bit older to remember this thing called electric football. Those who are young people, you're going to have to work with me on technology of the early 80s, late 70s, okay? Uh, Basically how this game worked is you had this little styrofoam ball and you put it in one of your guys' hands and then you turned it on, the whole board like vibrated and your pieces moved forward and that's how this thing worked. It was technology at its finest, it was amazing. And I just had to have electric football. And so I let everybody know that I wanted electric football. I let my grandparents know, my aunts and uncles know, my sister know, my parents know, everybody had to know that I wanted a little electric football. When a catalog would come in the mail, I would circle, I'm dropping the subtle hints, you know? That's, That's what I wanted. Now, I don't really know what happened. I don't know if I didn't communicate correctly. I don't really know what happened. But instead of getting electric football, I got a Cabbage Patch doll. I don't really think it's that funny today, to be honest with you. I'm a boy who wants some football. I want football, not a freaking doll, right? That's kind of where I was at as a kid. Now, what's interesting is I was looking up these pictures to show you the pictures of these things for this message. I was on eBay and come to find out both of these are now vintage items. Did you know you can get a vintage electric football game for about 50 bucks? But there are vintage Cabbage Patch dolls that are now worth like six or $7,000. So maybe they knew something that I didn't. Now, who's the goat now who got rid of his freaking doll along the way, Right. But the point is this, we kind of all have this shared experience somewhere along the way, maybe we didn't get everything that we wanted or desired. Let me shift the question a little bit. When it comes to your relationship with God and the things that you've prayed for in your life, how many of you have gotten every single thing that you've ever asked God for in the exact way that you've asked it? Again, probably none of us. Uh, Probably for all of us, somewhere along the way, there was something that we longed for, we hoped for, we, we prayed for, and didn't come to fruition in our life specifically in the way that we asked for it or the way that we wanted it. Now, I don't know what your journey was like as you processed kind of God's response to what felt like an unanswered prayer, but I would argue that there's possibly nothing more disruptive in our spiritual journey that when prayers seemingly go unanswered, particularly when they're about issues that are very, very important to us or or maybe very personal to us, in those moments where things go quote unquote unanswered, sometimes questions creep into our heart, and sometimes doubts begin to creep into our heart, and we'll start questioning things like: Does God really hear me? I mean, does God really care about my situation? I mean, does God have more important things going on in the cosmos that he didn't have time to respond to little old me and my need? And so sometimes in these seasons of disruptive, unanswered prayers, things become a little bit challenging to navigate from a spiritual perspective. And so I I thought I'd take a moment and I would talk a little bit about this weekend about really what it looks like, the shared experience that we all have together, those moments that we pray for and long for something that doesn't seem to come to fruition. And so Jesus tells this really, really cool story that kind of addresses this pretty specifically. It's located for us in the book of uh, Luke chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 11, or we'll also put the words on the screen as well. Now, as far as the words on the screen go, there's gonna be a highlighted word. And if you've been around Central for a long time, you know that when you get to the highlighted word, I need you to shout that word out with me. It's kind of the way that we make sure that you're awake and truly your shouting keeps me awake. So we're kind of all on the same page. Now, when it comes to Luke chapter 11, you run into Jesus teaching about prayer. At the very beginning of the chapter, he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Or if you grew up in a different faith tradition, maybe it was called the Our Father. Fascinating, fascinating prayer. We could spend weeks talking about just the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually following this particular prayer that Jesus continues his teaching on prayer. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 11, verse five. It says this, then teaching them more about prayer he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. <laughs> Time out. Who goes to somebody's house at midnight to borrow three loaves of bread? That's kind of an odd way to start a story, isn't it? I mean, in our world, if you were to ring somebody's doorbell at midnight, that's a good way to like, get yourself punched in the face, possibly even shot, depending on where you live. Like Nobody goes to somebody's house at midnight asking for bread. And so it's helpful to not only see the story in our context, it's very important to understand the context that Jesus was sharing the story. You see, back in the ancient world, it was very, very common for travelers when they went into town to actually seek up refuge for the night in a resident's home. You see, there was no Days Inn, there's no Hampton Inn, there's no Holiday Inn Express. And so when you rolled into a town as a traveler at night, what you would do, it was customary, you would knock on the door of somebody who lived in that area, and the cultural expectation was they would take you in. They would give you a place to sleep. If you were hungry, they would also give you something to eat. It was also not surprising that somebody would come by very late at night. You see, the area, it was a desert, sometimes very hot during the middle of the day. And so travelers often traveled at night. And so what happens in Jesus' story is this traveler rolls up. He's staying with a resident in the local town. He offers him a bed, but he doesn't have any food for him. And so what do you do when you don't have food for the weary traveler in the middle of the night and you don't have the food? Well, unfortunately, there's no Albertsons down the street where you can just go and find something. And so the taking care of the traveler was not just the responsibility of the resident, but truly the entire community. And so somebody rolls up on his door. He doesn't have the bread. So what's he do? He goes to a neighbor. He knocks on their door at midnight and says, hey, bro, I'm in a little bit of a pinch. Can I borrow three loaves of bread? Let's pick up Jesus story again. So he says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. Like now we get it, right? Because that's probably our response to somebody rolling up to our house at midnight. But this guy's like, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I cannot help you. But I tell you this though we won't do it for friendship's sake if you keep knocking long enough he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your your shameless persistence Now it's kind of a fascinating phrase that, that basically Jesus is saying if the dude's not doing what he should be doing The guy should be getting out of bed. He should be helpful. He should be, you know, giving you what you need. But if he's just going to be a a cranky old fella and he's just going to hang out in his own bed, he's not going to do what he's expected to do. I tell you what would happen. If you just keep on knocking, if you just drive him absolutely nuts, if he won't help you because he's a friend, he'll help you just to get you off his doorstep, right? There's something about this shameless Persistence. Now, we understand this principle. I mean, imagine you and I were traveling somewhere and, and, and it was a long road trip, and imagine we rolled up to a hotel pretty late at night. Now, you and I, we're prepared people. We booked our reservation at this hotel months ago. And so we get to this hotel, we go into the front desk, and we, 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 we tell them our name. I'm Sean Williams. I'm here to check in for the night. And imagine the person behind the counter says, Sorry. We don't have any more rooms. I gave your room away. How would you handle that moment? For me, probably not well, right? I'd be like, come on. I, I, I booked this months ago. I had a reservation. What, what do you mean there's no rooms? And she responds, well, you, you were a little bit late. We didn't think you were coming. And so I just gave your room away. Now, if you're anything like me in the moment, these are the moments I become shamelessly persistent, Right? that I'm gonna do whatever I can to get the other person who's not treating me right, I'm gonna try to get them to make it right. And so I may say things like, well, if my room was given away, find me another room. And I don't care what the room is. If you need to upgrade me to the presidential suite that I didn't pay for, I'm giving you permission to do that. If you don't have any other rooms in the hotel, feel free to wake up the guest that's in my room, give them the boot, let me have my room, right? And if for whatever reason I'm getting nowhere with the clerk, what do you do next? I ask for a manager. Apparently you do too, right? That's what we do. That if you're not gonna give me what I need, I'm gonna go over your head. I'm gonna find some decision maker who can make this right for me. And I'll go with the manager as long as I need to. If for whatever reason I don't get anywhere, what do you do? I call corporate, somebody's been down this process, right? That's what we do. We've become shamelessly persistent. We're gonna do whatever we can to make this right. And so in, in Jesus' story, that's kind of this story where he talks about, you know, if somebody's not gonna help you because it's the right thing to do, there's something about just being shamelessly persistent and we can make this happen. Now, at first glance, you kind of look at the story and you go, that's a little obnoxious, right? But I think if you take a step back at the story, you recognize what was obnoxious is the neighbor not helping in a time of need. The obnoxiousness is not in the persistence. The obnoxiousness is in the resistance. So what does this teach us about prayer? Now, some would look at the story and say, well, the story's teaching us to be persistent in our prayers. I do think we should be persistent in our prayers, but I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching with the story. Well, some will look at the story and say, well, well, Jesus is teaching us to be bold, to like, you know, be really bold in what we're asking God for. And, and though I do think we can be bold with God, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at in the story. What's interesting about Jesus' stories is many times in his parables, uh, the best way to understand the parables is the characters in the story have spiritual representatives. More often than not, there's a character in the story that represents God, and more often than not, there's another character in the story that represents you and I. And basically, it's a story that Jesus tells us to teach us how we connect with God and how we relate to God. What's unique about this story in Luke chapter 11, it's a very unique story, it's a a story that I would call a parable of contrast. In other words, when you look at the story, there is no character in the story that represents the heart of God, but there's one that looks the exact opposite of who God is. There's the one that looks the exact opposite of who God is, what his heart is like, what God desires to do. And what you discover when you lean into Jesus' parable and recognize it as a parable of contrast, you recognize that God is not a cranky neighbor, God is a loving father. God is not a cranky neighbor. God does the exact opposite that this neighbor does. That you don't have to exercise shameless persistence to twist God's arm enough to try to get God to do what you want, God's not like that. God is not a cranky neighbor who's resistant to you. God is a loving father that loves you, that hears you, that desires to respond to you. And that's why Jesus, in the very next verse, he begins to talk about the true attributes of who God is. Verse nine says this, and so he says, and I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be? Door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, The door will be open. I mean, what what a great statement about Jesus. He says, Hey, ask and keep on asking. He says, Seek and keep on seeking. He says, Knock and keep on knocking. He says, Man, when you ask, you'll receive, when you seek, you'll find, when you knock, the door will be open. How encouraging is to hear this truth about God that he's not a cranky neighbor, he's a loving father and he wants to respond to his kids. He wants to respond to the needs of our life. You ask, you'll receive, you seek, you'll find, you knock and the door will be open. It's a powerful truth about who God is and how God desires to respond to us. Now, some of us, we we hear that, we go, well, that sounds awesome. I mean, that sounds so encouraging. But there's still a little bit of a disconnect in my own heart. Because we may say something like, well, Sean, I have asked, and I didn't receive. I did seek, and I didn't find. I did knock, and somebody shut that door in my face and threw the deadbolt. And so what do we do in those moments that there appears to be a disconnect between what we know about God and what we're experiencing in our circumstances? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Luckily, Jesus responds to it. In the very next verse, here's what Jesus says. This is so powerfully cool. He says this. He says, you fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give what good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So here's what Jesus says. Oh, we give it over that here's what jesus is saying now now don't get put off when he calls us sinful people he's just recognizing what's true about you and i you and i we, we can be prone to sin we can be prone to mistake we we can be prone to mess up but even in our messed upness even though our lives are full of mistakes he says even for those of us who are mistake ridden you still know how to give good gifts to your children Now, I know that there are some notable exceptions of this. And I know that some of us grew up in homes that we received something far less than good gifts. But by and large, even those of us who mess up frequently, we know how to give good gifts to children. And so what God is saying here is if mistake-ridden people know how to give good gifts to children, how much more would a God who's never made a mistake in all of eternity know how to give gifts to his children. That's who God is. And Jesus is trying to make sure that we understand the truth about who God really is, despite what our circumstances might cause us to feel. And so he says, imagine this. Imagine a child comes to you and asks for an egg. Would you give them a scorpion? No! And if you would, What up with that? Like, why would we do that? When when a child is asking for food and a provision, we would never give them pain in return. No good father would ever do that. I I was kind of thinking about, you know, when my kids were little, my kids would love sweets. And so uh, I think about the times my kid maybe asked for a sucker. My kids loved suckers. And, and imagine that my kids asked for a sucker and I gave them this sucker. We may have to use the camera to zoom in on this. Can you see this sucker? This is a legitimate sucker, but there is a legitimate scorpion in the middle of the sucker. That is not like a carved figurine. That is an actual scorpion. These came in the mail because I was using this from the illustration and my son looked at and he goes, wow, that's cool. Can I have that? I'm like, son, this is an illustration for what you shouldn't want. But nevertheless, my kids thought this was really cool. But again, look at Jesus' illustration. If a kid asks for something sweet, who would give them something harmful? Right? Anybody want this just for giggles? You want this? All right, here you go. I I shouldn't throw it that far because I'm going to hurt somebody. There you go. All right. You can eat down to the scorpion, don't eat the scorpion, or if you do, don't have your lawyer call me. Okay, right? (laughs) But here's the truth. If a child is asking for provision, no good father gives them pain. And certainly, God would never do that. The truth is sometimes in our journeys, we're so clear with what we ask God for but what we experience might be hardship. And in those moments is a moment that we have to stand on God's truth as Jesus begins to paint the picture of God and say, though I don't fully understand the situation and though I don't totally understand the circumstance, we cannot let it redefine our understanding of who God is. God is a good God, a loving God, a caring God who listens to us, who responds to his children. That's who God is. And if that's true, here's possibly the most important thing I'm gonna say all day. We must allow the truth of what we know about God to define how we see our circumstances instead of allowing our circumstances to define how we see God. We must allow what we know to be true about God to define how we see and understand our circumstances and not allow our circumstances to define and dictate how we see God. And so what does this mean? And how do we begin to see possibly our circumstances differently? Now let me, before I kinda uh, try to give us a little bit of a lens to see our journey through, let me first say this. Uh, By God's grace, I've had the opportunity to be a pastor for the last 18 years. It is the joy and privilege of my life to get to do what I get to do on a daily basis. Now, at the same time, over 18 years, there are so many moments that, that I've counseled with people that truthfully, I don't fully understand the circumstances they find themselves in. I don't fully understand what God is doing amidst the circumstances. And the truth is, I don't always have the ability to know. But what I find more often true than not is given time, and we look back at the situation, often we're able to see with a little bit more clarity about what God was up to in the moment. That sometimes trying to discern the why in the moment is virtually impossible. But nevertheless, sometimes it's helpful to have a lens by which we can view our circumstances based on the truth of what we know about God. And so, when it comes to the things that we're praying for, the things that we're asking God for, here's the truth. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no, but know this no is not a scorpion. No can feel painful at times, but I promise you this no is not a scorpion. I think that there are actually moments that God says no to our request because saying yes to that request is actually more painful in the long term. That there are things that we sometimes pray for, we think that we're asking for an egg, but we're asking for a scorpion. And the truth is God's not going to give you a scorpion even if you ask for a scorpion. Because God's a good father. And good fathers would never give pain to those asking for provision. Uh, For example, uh, years ago when I was in high school, uh, when I was in high school, I was a a little bit of a dork. Now, I know as you look at me today, you're like, gosh, how could that possibly be? But others of you are like, well, not a lot's changed in 25 years, bro. But but when I was in high school, I was was a little bit of a dork. You could say I was the exact opposite of what you might call a ladies' man. I couldn't get a date for anything, right? Right. But nevertheless, I had my eye on truly the prettiest girl in the entire school. She was the prettiest girl. She was the most popular girl. She was every guy in my high school's heart's desire. Now, you would think for the dork, who was not a ladies' man, who couldn't buy a date if he wanted to, I should probably change my expectations. But I kind of thought to myself, well, people talk about God of miracles, Maybe God could change her heart and bend her heart. Maybe God will plague her with blindness so she can't see me. And maybe he'll confuse her so much that, that maybe she would want to go out with me. I don't know. And so I prayed about it. I asked God that God, would you miraculously cause this girl to fall madly in love with me? I mean, she was a cheerleader. She was the most popular girl in school. She was class president. I mean, I, I had the hots for this girl. And so after praying about it for a long time, my confidence in the power of Jesus gave me the ability to muster up the confidence to ask this girl to prom. And somehow when I asked her to prom, come to find out she did not get the memo from God. (laughs) I was surprised too. And she broke my little heart as a high school student. I was so sad about it. It was kind of a real painful moment. I just knew that God was going to work a miracle for me. He did not. (laughs) Fast forward a lot of years. I followed this girl's journey through social media a little bit, and you fast forward their journey, and her journey took quite a few detours and turns, and through a pattern of self-destructive decisions, she found herself in a pretty tough spot. And I kind of thought about it a little bit, thinking, you know, what... What if God would have said yes to that relationship? In my mind, it was going to be the first date of a lifetime we're going to spend together. What if God would have said yes to that? I thought I was asking for an egg. That could have been a scorpion in my life. That, that if God would have given me a yes to that prayer, it would have kept me from experiencing the greatest gift that I've ever received in this life, which was the hand of my now bride, Lindsay. We just celebrated our 15 year anniversary a couple weeks ago, right? She's the greatest gift that God has ever given me. And so it's interesting, like in one season of life, we're praying for something we just want so bad, but God says no. Sometimes God says no because we think we're asking for an egg. It's actually a scorpion. God will never give you a scorpion even if you're asking for it. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says slow. You know, we we live in a culture that I I have a hard time being patient. And so the thought that that sometimes God says slow is hard for me to receive at times uh, because I don't like waiting on anything. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting in the Starbucks line. I don't like waiting really for things to finish in the microwave, right? And so sometimes like, I have a hard time waiting for things. And over the course of time, here's what I've discovered. There's a big difference between no and not yet. And not yet is not a scorpion. Sometimes it's fair to understand that God's timetable is a little bit different than our timetable. And sometimes God works on a very different calendar that I would like him to work. Sometimes I want God to roll out the whole plan for me. I want every detail. I wanna know exactly what we're doing, where we're going, who we're doing it with. When is it all going down, God? I want the whole plan, why? Because I wanna be in control. And the truth is, more often than not, God doesn't give you the whole plan because if he gave us the whole plan, every detail, what would I do? I would say... Peace, I don't need you anymore. I've now got it all under control. And so typically what God does more often than not is what God will do is he'll give you the next step. And then when you faithfully do the next step, he'll often give you the step after that, not really revealing anything beyond that because if he gives us a step at a time, it allows us to remain in faithful dependence on him. God cares far more about his relationship with you than he does anything around you. I heard another pastor say it this way. He says, faith requires us to synchronize our faith with God's calendar. And here's why that requires faith. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe that God's purpose is at work in my life when the process is invisible. And so we have to synchronize our faith with God's calendar. The old adage says, God is never early, but he's never late. The adage actually says God is rarely early, nothing like not even saying the old adage correctly. It says that God is rarely early, but he's never late. And many times it's the essence of God drawing us into an ever-dependent relationship on him. Sometimes God says no. But sometimes God says slow. And he'll give us the good gift when he has us in a position to steward that gift for good. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says slow. Sometimes God says grow. Sometimes God says grow. This is probably the least comfortable of, uh, of the three. Uh, that, that Sometimes God puts us in a season to where we will grow. And the truth is for all of us, it's more often than not in the times that are a little bit more difficult that we experience the greatest amount of growth in our life. It's usually when things get a little bit hard that we're far more open to the work that God is going to do in our life. And sometimes growth is so painful, but it is so good. Growth is not a scorpion. I don't know what your experience is like, but sometimes in my prayers, I ask God to change a lot of things around me. Uh, Sometimes I ask God to change the people around me. I'm like, God, change my wife. God, change my kids. God, change my boss. Would you give my boss in line, right? Uh, Sometimes I'll ask God to change my circumstances. God, would you rectify my finances? Would you heal me of sickness? And all of those are fine things to pray about. But what I find of myself is so often I'm praying that God will change the people and the circumstances around my life, but far too seldom am I asking God to change my actual life. I'm asking God to change everything out there, but I'm not asking God to change something in here. How powerful would it be if we would ask God consistently, God, would you, would you rid me of selfishness? God, would you, would you make me more generous? God, would you make me more loving? Would you help me become more patient? Instead of asking God to change everything out there, what would it look like if we asked God to change more in here? Potentially, that postures us to be able to receive the good gifts that God desires to give us. Allow the truth about God to determine how we see our circumstances instead of allowing our circumstances to change what we believe about God. Sometimes God says, no. Sometimes God says, slow. Sometimes God says, grow. But whatever's going on in our journey, believe with everything that you are, God is not a cranky neighbor. God is a loving father. It's just who he is. It's how he responds to those that he loves. God hears you. God sees you. God loves you. God desires to respond to you so here's my encouragement to you I would encourage you this week to specifically pray about things that are in your life and your journey pray specifically pray boldly pray uh, persistently and pray knowing that your father hears you cares you and desires to respond but in addition to the things that you'll pray for in your own journey can I give you one more thing to pray for is that okay I wanna ask that in this next season, would you pray for us here at Central? I'm gonna put a few things up on the screen and maybe even take out your phone, snap a picture of that. And I wanna ask you specifically to pray about a few things right here at Central. Pray for our pastor. Uh, Pray for Pastor Judd. I'm a little biased, but I would argue we have the greatest lead pastor really in in America. I, I, I love Pastor Judd. Amazing, amazing. But here's the truth. I have no idea what it's like to carry the weight of all that happens here at Central. He does it with so much grace. He does it what appears to be somewhat effortlessly, but but I know the weight that he carries on a daily basis. Would you pray that God continues to give him wisdom? Would you pray that God gives him discernment, direction? Pray that God gives him huge vision for what God desires to do through us here at Central. Would you pray for the leadership teams here at Central? Again, I'm biased. Uh, but I would argue our senior leadership team here is unlike any senior leadership team I've ever interacted with in any church environment. It's an exceptional, accessible group of people that God has assembled. Would you pray for the leadership team? Pray for the staff. Pray for all the volunteer leaders in the various roles. Pray that God would protect them, protect their heart, protect them from the enemy, that God would lift them up, that God would encourage them, would strengthen them when they need it. Would you pray for Unity. Did you know one of the things that Jesus prayed, he actually prayed for you. And the thing that he prayed is that his church, that his people would be one. Because when God's people are one, when we're truly together, when we're locked arms with each other, there is nothing that the enemy could ever do. Jesus said it this way. He said, you will be my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against you. There's There's so much power when God empowers his people and they are one. Would you pray for unity even right here at Central? And would you pray for one another? And what I mean by that is, more often than not, what you see in people's lives, there's more going on in their journey. And if you really knew what was going on in their journey, you might have even more compassion, more kindness, more grace for each other. So would you just simply pray for one another? Uh, again, I would encourage you to, to take that list and that you would spend some time even praying about those things even this week. And as you pray about those things, know this, God is not a cranky neighbor. God is a loving father. Prayer is not about trying to get God to do what you want. Prayer is about opening your heart and allowing God to change your life. I wanna give you the opportunity to even pray this life-changing prayer. If you've you've never become a follower of Jesus and and you'd like to do that this weekend, if you wanna come submit your life to this loving, caring God who's crazy about you, I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can pray this prayer with me. If you would just bow your heads and if you'd like to follow him, pray this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me overcome the challenges I'm up against. I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if, if you surrendered your life to him, if you made that commitment to him, if you could acknowledge that decision, whether you're in this room or joining us in one of our central locations, if you're watching us online or in our partnership with God behind bars, if you would acknowledge that decision by just slipping your hand in the air. Father, I pray for every single person that's reaching out to you today. Father, I just ask that they be able to sense your presence in their life. Would they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know them, you love them, you hear them, you're a God who desires to respond to them. God, thank you for being a good, good father. We surrender our life to you. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Let's give it up for those who made spiritual decisions today. I wanna take a moment, send it back to our location pastors who are gonna send us off today. So if you can put your hands together as we welcome our location pastors.